matchmaker. Welcome to Subtitles, where we spike the canon in music and movies. In each episode, we will offer up replacements for each title in the top 100 of a well-known, well-regarded ranking, and we'll walk away with a pair of subtitles, which we think deserve more acclaim and to which attention must be paid. I'm Matt, and I'm replacing the top 100 entries on Spin Magazine's 2015 list of the top 300 albums from 1985 until 2015, starting with number one and working down. I'm Tim. I'm replacing the entries on the 2007 AFI 100 Years 100 Movies list, starting with number 100 and working up. So here's how this works. The two of us have gone through each list, decided on a theme of the original entry, and have come up with a pair of potential replacement titles which share that theme. We'll talk about the original entry, and sometimes we'll regret that we have to get rid of it, and sometimes we'll rejoice in being able to drop it. But this podcast is not just another dissection of an outmoded list. In part one of this episode, I have two new albums to talk through, and Tim will make the choice for the subtitles albums list. Then, in part two, Tim will have two new movies to discuss, and I will decide which of them deserves a place on the subtitles movies list. Sometimes I will have seen the movies, and sometimes Tim will have listened to the albums, but at the end of the day, what matters is how well we've sold the titles. And at the end of some of those days, one of us will want to bop the other for that choice. And once we finish this off, we'll do some fun activities with the new lists we've collaborated on. But before we can get there, we have to do this. Today's title to be replaced is Homogenic, Bjork's 1997 album. Apologies up front. Apparently my allergies are doing their thing. So if I am like resetting my voice periodically throughout this, don't mind me. Um, I really think, I know I've said this a few times, I really think this is going to be the short one just because... A, as a, you know, a treat from the long one from last week, and B, because at three albums on, on deck this week that I find kind of hard to talk about because they're albums that I think... I, I just really believe that you have to feel them. Like, you have to experience them on your own, in a way. So I'm going to do my level best here. Uh, I'm going to give it the old college try. Um, but I, I am working with three that I'm, I'm not entirely sure how much I have to say about them so much as say, here's what they make me feel, and that's why that's important. Um, so let's talk about Bjork, uh, an institution unto herself. Let's talk about Bjork! <laughs> Which is how all of these episodes should start. <laughs> Tim, quick, without thinking, when I say Bjork, what's the first thing you think of? Lars von Trier? I, I knew you were going to give a weird answer, and I asked anyway. That's not that weird. Um, I think most people would say The Swan. Right, yeah, no. But for, Lars Van sure. Trier is fair. Um, Wait, can I try again? Yeah, yeah. Tim, when I say Bjork, what's the first thing you think of? I am Grateful Grapefruit. This is why we can't do, like, fun, spontaneous activities, listeners. <laughs> um... No, I asked that, A, because none of those are really music-related, so that's actually illuminating in itself. Um, and B, I don't know, kind of to say, like, I think, maybe it's changed now, 
because it's so far on from that. But I feel like the when someone thinks of Bjork, they just think of this incredibly eccentric like pop artist, and that's not totally what's going on. Like, yeah, deeply eccentric. Like, not not gonna try and talk back that one. Um, but I don't know if there's the there's definitely the critical respect for it. I don't know if there's like the casual respect for like how innovative and how interesting and how um, just new uh, her her albums are and her music is and like how much she's pushing on on genres and, and pushing what was even possible forward in 1997 with Homogenic. Um, so I guess just getting that out of the way first that like if you think of Bjork as just kind of like a standard pop star, but like with sartorial eccentricities, um, go back and listen to some Bjork stuff because that's not really what's going on, especially on Homogenic, where she basically just does away with melody altogether. Like there, there's no hooks on this album, and yet like you play any of the songs and I can pretty much follow along with them. Like it, it's catchy without hooks somehow, and like it's compulsive without the, that anchor of like melody. And that in itself is just impressive. Um, basically, what's going on here um, is Bjork taking her... So she starts her career as part of the Sugar Cubes, which is more of like a standard kind of like punk, pop, rock type deal. Uh, definitely more of a rock outfit. And then when she starts her solo output, um, it becomes more pop and much more heavily influenced by club music, by dub, by trip hop, by electronica, stuff like that. Um, and that's where she's working at at the beginning of her solo career mostly. And Homogenic takes that and basically melds it with classical. Um, and the Icelandic string quartet is playing throughout this album. And it is... I think here's the the clever thing about homogenic rather than taking those and like blending those together into, into a soup, um, which is not a bad strategy. we're seeing that a lot more in popular music in particular as artists, um, you know, as young artists uh, start their careers and they grew up with the internet, they grew up with streaming, they grew up where you can just pick and choose and listen to everything whenever you want. And so everything kind of comes together in that way for them. That like the scene is not a thing so much anymore. Um, and you have other artists in the '90s doing that, where they're taking like these genres that seeming that may not seem like they fit together and blending them in interesting ways. Bjork resists that and just kind of puts these things together. And the the, the keys to this album are in those juxtapositions of hearing those really hard and bracing edges um, and hearing and the opening song, the hunter begins with these very steely and like staccato drum flutters. There's very like um, pointed bass plucks. Like it's not a full bass line. Um, it's not fluid in that way. So it's a very um, kind of hard and pressing rhythm section, very cold as well. And then you get these very lush string sections that just sort of swoop in and out. And it is sort of like those two different modes are working on different tracks. And eventually, like at certain points, they're crossing, but they're never becoming the same track. And that to me is most of the album. That's kind of the key to understanding it, I think. And what makes it so impressive as well, that it's able to do that and, and hold together so well. Um, it never sounds disjointed. 
even though it's never really making the attempt to say, like, these can become the same thing. The point is in those juxtapositions. And it's an album um, about womanhood in general. And and she she's on record saying this, but you can kind of feel it and hear it anyway. Like, it feels like it's a, an album about her home country, too, about Iceland, about um, this land of natural beauty and, like, cold, inhospitable. Like, what's the word I want here? Inhospitable? Uh, what's that? Inhospitable? Yeah, that one. Thank you. I, <laughs> I, I was like melding that and uh, inhabitable in my head and like couldn't get the right word out. <laughs> um, and like this in this land of just these great geological juxtapositions as well. Um, and this this is the album she had lived in london for a while before this and had recently moved back to iceland um and again she's on record saying like that's sort of some of the inspiration behind the album that it is kind of sonically tracking like the home home for her um what it looks like in iceland what it feels like to be there the this this land of great juxtapositions and that's what you hear in the music i think um <clears throat> you know you hear the that cold steely um kind of the rough edges of a lot of the electronic and club influences um kind of modeling i mean there's this weird little inversion here too or maybe that's like the natural i mean so often on albums we have kind of like the natural and the artificial budding heads um but if that's meant to represent something about living in iceland about just like the physical being in there um and then you have these string sections that maybe are the feeling of home, that warmth, that feeling of closeness, of of um, being swept up by, you know, that maybe being the feeling of coming back home. Um, so it again, like it's just taking these two things, and it feels like they're operating on tracks that occasionally cross but never really um, conjoin, and inverting those expectations in fun ways. Um, I mentioned the Hunter um, Joga, the second track kind of flips the script where it starts with the strings. That starts with this very lovely section. And then you get the, um, the those more cold and staggered rhythm sections kind of breaking in and, and breaking things up and like um, subverting the feeling of that song. Um, one of the, one of my favorite lyrics on the album, um, it comes on that song, the state of emergency, how beautiful and I think that's kind of, I think you can pull out a lot of lines from this album and say like, oh, that's a good way to understand the full thing. But I think that one in particular, the, you know, sonically we have these things kind of clashing and like working through and against one another. And it is sort of this chaotic model in that way. Um, but even Bjork talking about love, talking about life, just talking about being, um, so often on this album, she does cast it as like the state of emergency or the state of chaos or, you know, being itself is just chaotic, but that's beautiful. Um, that's what makes it exciting. That's what keeps it um, beautiful and new and, and vital. Um, you know, I, it's sort of a misnomer. I want to be clear to say that Bjork is like working with different genres so much as just making Bjork music. Um, you can hear different things on here. Like Joy has some funk in it. Pluto has some industrial uh, influence on it. There's various styles of more like world music on So Broken and Shapeshifter. 
Um, again, you're getting a lot of these lush orchestral sections. You get some trip-hop stutters throughout. There's the cold synths and drums everywhere. Um, Bjork's vocals are a genre unto themselves, I think. Um, there, There's... You know, I'm thinking of who all is on the spin list or in the top 100 anyway, and who has the most inimitable voice. I think it has to be her, Frank Black. Like, it's, I think it's her, but um, just so often the music is, again, it feels like it's working against each other and her voice is just sort of floating above this or like digging down into it. Like, the way she's able to use her voice to carve out space and to fly above it and to dig under it and to go through it. Like there's a real activity, like an animus to the voice that we don't hear with many artists at all, where she's able to just embed herself differently in the music, not just be technically impressive, not just be emotive, not just be evocative, but actually make that part of the song and like dig into it in different ways. Um, just other f- favorite lyrics of mine. Um, I'm a fa- I'm a fountain of blood in the shape of a girl, and I want to explode out of this body. So I think again, homogenic. This is uh, an album partially about going back home, about finding home, um, and the sort of the jagged nature of life in that way, the harsh realities of that. But then also being a woman, being embodied, being a person, trying to live, and all the random juxtapositions and um, contradictions of that, and just how hard and yet how warm it can be at the same time. Um, yeah, I again, this is this might be the easiest one to talk about out of the three because Bjork gives us like digestible lyrics in particular, <laughs> um, but. I think, again, this is one that it's, it's really an experience. Um, you know, I've tried to give a sense of kind of what's happening on it, but I think, right, it's 18 on the spin list. I think very deserving. Also our second appearance from a woman. So, hey, we're, we're, we're doing it. <laughs> um, honestly, I'm surprised it's not higher. I think it could be. And I think largely that's because it does feel so much like its own world. Um, and to me... You know, that doesn't always make an album your thing, but that makes it incredibly impressive. That, like, this feels like something that only Bjork was doing, could do, will do. Um, and there are markers in there that you can find and relate to, but it, it just feels so identifiably her and, and what she was up to and what she wanted to be doing with music. And to me, that's why it deserves such a high ranking. Uh, anything you want to say about Bjork, Tim, or about Homogenic? I love this album. Like, I think this is my favorite one that I have listened to for this. Like, it is it is an album which is so strange and so energizing, and and she is so specific and weird. Um, like, it, and and you can sort of like transition the way her vocals change over the course of the album too. At the beginning, she does that cloying thing that I kind of hate, but also can't stop listening to. Like. I absolutely hate the childish tone in her voice, but then it's so much more pleasant than like the screaming she is doing towards the end of the album. And it is all in there. Um, I don't know. To, to me, this is just like a, a crazy impressive uh, piece of work on the whole. It is, it is 
I don't know. It just, it really doesn't feel like much else that we've done, except maybe for OK Computer, which is the same year, right? Isn't this like, they were up for the same Grammy, which is like... So this is off-brand for me, but I'm not actually sure like what the Grammy noms were that year, but it is the same year. They're both 1997. Um, and yeah, I think that's right. Like They're both so... I mean, it's not experimental music necessarily, but they're both so experimental and really pushing forward um, what rock can do, what pop can do, what electronic can do, um, just bringing things together in really new combinations. And there are major points of change, I think, in music landscape um, and in terms of what <clears throat> newer artists are going to try and do after those. Like, they're really giant moments in that way of setting up these new kind of offshoots and subgenres. Um, but yeah, no, homogenic doesn't sound like anything else we've had so far. I don't know that it's going to sound like anything else we have after this. Like maybe as we get into more, some of the more like experimental electronic albums, we'll hear like, okay, that kind of like makes sense. But uh, Bjork is Bjork. That's, there's no better way to put that than just this is an artist who is so thoroughly singular that even if you don't know any songs, I can say Bjork and you have an image or like you've heard of her or, you know, there's some concept of, oh, yeah, that's an important musician um, and just has a sound all her own. Um yeah, the, the song with I Want to Explode out, out of This Body is where she really starts the screaming. And that's kind of a favorite of mine, though, because it's like, she yeah, like, I, I just w I want to be out of this and, and just feel and just scream whatever I want. Um, and it is this moment of just grand feeling in that song. Um, yeah, it's a lot of stuff that like really shouldn't work or that really should be off-putting. And yet it comes together in this really compelling whole. And I think that's that's the power of Bjork. Um, so that brings us to our category. Unless there's anything else you want to say, Tim. Uh, I'm just going to put out there that I I thought about the OK Computer homogenic like Grammy matchup. And I'm like, what is the equivalent of this from the Oscars? And I'm like, oh, yeah. It's no country for old men versus there will be blood. It's it's that same level of like these are these are similarly great moments and you you can there's like a right answer but like is there a right answer? They're both the right answer. Just give it to both. That that is the right answer. That would make it so much easier. Um, <laughs> I'm going to I'm going to research the Grammys in the background and try to figure out what happened that year. I like that comp, though. Maybe that's something we have to investigate in the future. Like, just thinking about the albums with the movies. This is the year that Sonny came home one record of the year. That's hysterical. It did what? <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, so the 98 ceremony, which is when both of them should be up. <laughs> this is phenomenal. Report. Okay, yeah, none of that is Bjork or Radiohead related, but that's the Grammys for you, folks. Um, okay, so our category for today is Bjorky Mc... Ahem. Bjork... Bjorky McBjorkface. There hard. we go. That's I got through it. <laughs> I can say things. Bjorky McBjorkface. I keep trying to say Bjork, Bjork like the Swedish chef. I'm going to stop saying that. 
and say the subtitle of this subtitle episode, which is Icelandic Genre Explosion, mm-hmm. which was the initial category and is really what I'm working off of here. But you'll see when you listen to part two after this, as you should, why we've gotten to the title of Bjorki McBjork Face. That's hard to say. That's rough. I've tried to say <laughs> that, and it's rough. I, like, I just kept thinking it, and I was like, oh, yeah, that's easy. And then you try and, like, actually say it. Um, so, obviously, we're going to be looking at two Icelandic bands. Um, yes, they do have more bands. Ones that are really, like Bjork, um, either just ignoring genre altogether or just bringing it, uh, weaving things together in, in really singular ways. So we're going to look at Sugar Rose, and we're going to look at Mum. And let's start with Sugar Rose, which is absolutely the one listeners are most likely to be familiar with. Um, and we have the joy here, since I'm already struggling to say things, of me attempting to say Icelandic things. So this will be fun. Uh, We're going to look at their 1999 album. Here we go. Agatist Birjan. We're going to go with that. (laughs) Which I've seen translated a few different ways, and apparently this is one of those things that, like, it translates, but it doesn't really translate. Like, there's some essence to the word, or to the phrase in Icelandic that English can't capture. Um, But roughly, it's a good beginning. I've also seen it translated as an all right start. So it's somewhere in that realm. Um, and Sugaros is, I don't know, I feel like Bjork, but not quite to the same level of band that like, if you say them, people might say, oh yeah, I know that name or like have some vague familiarity with them. Um, but I don't know the, like how widely listened to this band is anymore. I guess I'll ask you, Tim, like how familiar are you with Sugar Rose? How much listening have you done? Enough to say I have pretty much. Um, I don't know that I've ever been like swept up in them, you know, the way that I, that I've been swept up with Bjork, but you know, when people say it, I'm like, Oh yeah, they're the ones who do that thing. Like there's definitely a thing that they are doing that, that I think, me and most people are familiar with. And it's a really good thing. I, I'm, it's good that you mentioned Swept Up because of the three albums here and, and really of most albums anywhere. This one is so sweeping. Uh, it's so cinematic. And, and that is a, kind of a rote thing to point out at this point. This is a 21-year-old album and everyone says it's cinematic. It's been used in... Uh, it was in Vanilla Sky. It was in Life Aquatic. It's been used in nature documentaries um, itself, or like knockoffs of it have been used in several different commercials. There's this sweeping, just cinematic feel to the whole thing, um, such that it, it can sound like a movie soundtrack, but it also sounds like its own experience in a way. And this, is, let me be clear here. Uh, Primarily, this album is in actual Icelandic. Jonesy, as some people know, has made up his own language to incorporate on various albums called Hopelandic. Um, He does that some here, but it's not nearly all of the album. It's mostly contained to the song Olsen Olsen. Um, So that may be a misconception that I want to dispel that quick. But I also want to say that I refuse to learn the actual lyrics to this album. 
And that's because, not because I don't think they would be interesting. Like I've read enough about it to understand generally what some songs are about. So I have that kind of working knowledge, but I also want to forget that and just feel with this thing. I don't really want to know what Jonesy is singing about. Um, and, and maybe that's rude of me, but to me, there's just such feeling with this album and that it, it is this emotional and sort of cinematic journey of sound. And, and I like, to me, that's what makes it so good. And I, I want to keep that. Um, and I could, st- I could well still have that if I, if I knew what the lyrics were, I don't know for sure, obviously, but there's just a part of me that's like, no, I don't want to know. I just want to like keep feeling swept up by this thing. Um, and I mean, I think that's, Kind of the intention of the artist as well if you start making up your own language even if it's not on every song like when you're at that point when you're becoming that obtuse really um there's that's some admission on your part that like words cannot capture the full meaning of what we're up to here so we will give you them because they're part of the emotional tenor of this all um but that's what they're meant to be um and that the the, the continuity of the whole thing is what's important and, and that's what we should be focusing on uh spin has this uh 294 on their list which is actually that's really surprising to me i i am surprised it's not much higher um i'm kind of surprised it's not in the top 100 honestly but like 294 seems low to me um but I don't know. They have it down there. We've covered in the past few weeks some like where I'm really starting to ruffle my feathers at what Spin is doing with various <laughs> albums, and let's just add this one to the list of um, I like. I'm just surprised to see it that low. Um, so it's another one I didn't necessarily expect to be able to play around with and to use as a, a subtitle. But here we are, and I'm glad that I can. Sugar Rose is part of the kind of cavalcade of post-rock bands that are really coming up in the mid to late 90s in so much as they have a popular peak. It's probably the late 90s to early 2000s. Um, and it's still, it's a genre that I really enjoy. It's one that still has quite a few bands working in it. None of them are, none of them are reaching the level that Sugar Rose did with Agatist Birjan. If anyone Icelandic is listening to this, honestly, please tell me how to actually say that because I do want to know. <laughs> <laughs> I was about yeah, to say, like, if if someone Icelandic is listening, like, don't feel obligated to to like live with this. <laughs> I have no idea how this is supposed to be. I do not speak Icelandic or Hopelandic or whatever. I don't speak either of these. I apologize. I'm probably butchering your language, and I really don't mean to, but it, here's here's where I am. Um, I looked at our stats. I think we have actually gotten some listens from Iceland. We had a lot of the I countries. <laughs> it seemed weird at first, but like I'm here for it. So if you are our Icelandic listener, thank you. Um, this one is is kind of for you, and I'm, I apologize for butchering your language. <laughs> Can I, can I ask a question yeah, real quick right. before we pick up again? Matt, what what would you have done with this category if this album were in the top 100? Like, would you just have had to, like, find, like, a Bjork corollary somewhere? Or would you have just been like, okay, we're doing double the Iceland band? 
options? Like, what was the solution there? There are, I do know other Icelandic bands, so we would have probably just had two really obscure things. Um, yes, you want to know who the bands are? <laughs> I want to know uh, how close uh, we were to we getting were really Yaya Ding Dong into this podcast. <laughs> Not close enough, but we should have been. Fool. <laughs> I know, I'm sorry. Uh, uh, hang on, we have a lot more lists to go. Maybe I can filter. There's another Bjork album coming up, so... <laughs> Um, so yeah, stay tuned for whenever that is down the line, like 40-something for Ya Ya Ding Dong. That'll be... Yes. That's <laughs> so what you can look forward to. Um, yeah, I don't know. There are, like, I could have pulled other Icelandic bands in. Um, that's probably what I would have done anyway, or I would have found something else. Maybe that would have been, like, a vocal category at that point, just, like, weird vocalists. Um... But yeah, I don't know, but like that this one was available just made it kind of easier in that way. And like, well, yeah, this is definitely one I want to talk about and feel like I kind of have to. Um, Sugar Rose, part of this post-rock cavalcade, as I was saying, which is sort of a transatlantic affair. Um, you have different scenes of it happening in, in Iceland, clearly, um, in the UK in general, in, in Canada, in North America, or in the US. Um, Although it seems to be a lot of cold weather bands, and this is something I'm just piecing out in my head now, and like a thesis that I'm really interested in following. Iceland, Godspeed You Black Emperors from Montreal. Um, in the US, the post-rock scene was in Chicago. Bands like Tortoise coming out of there. Um, Mogwai coming out of, I think they're Irish. Um, so like a lot of cold weather, kind of UK, Canada, Iceland, upper United States bands. Um, and what does post-rock mean? Stereo Lab's in there as well. I know when I figured about them, they were kind of important. Um, really, it means a jettisoning of traditional rock structure and much more fo focus on texture and on kind of emotional landscaping and just landscaping in particular like these are songs that feel like soundtracks and albums that feel like soundtracks more than they feel like your traditional radio rock song um so they're they're exploding the structure from the inside in that way and you can hear all kinds of different things in them between those different bands electronic jazz pop prog classical like there's all kinds of different things happening but the point is really that like they're taking some basis in rock and exploding that outward to become more of a landscape and to become more of a soundtrack and to really explore the contours and the nuances of just structure itself um and again you, you get different vibes of that depending on which post-rock band you want to listen to um sugar Rose is as I mentioned earlier, a very uplifting one, a very sweeping one, and all of them have their, their cinematic qualities in the sense that like they have that grandness to them, but I think this is probably the album that most sounds like, oh, that could be an actual movie. Like You could put uh, images to that and make it a picture all, all its own. Um, so it's an, it's an album really interested in arrangements. And unlike Bjork, where everything is jagged and kind of butting heads at various points, and like those those rough contours, those rough edges, and those um, juxtapositions are what's most interesting. 
this one is all smooth edges. Everything flows together so beautifully. And it feels all of a piece, no matter how many parts they're bringing in. Um, you know, that's a trick of how well they play together, a trick of editing. Um, like there's just a, a, a gorgeousness to the production here where everything sounds like you're on a ride with it. And it's a very smooth ride and you're, you know, you're in the lows of valleys and then you're up over the fjords and then you're going up the volcanoes. Like I, this is part. So I say Icelandic genre explosion, not just because these are all Icelandic bands, but because I think all three of these albums do like they're, they, they feel like I imagine Iceland feels. I've never been to Iceland. Again, I apologize, our Icelandic listener. I don't want to like <laughs> misrepresent your your country. Um, what if it's Bjork? <laughs> I hope it's Bjork. <laughs> we love you, Bjork. Please come on the podcast. <laughs> um, God, that would be so good. <laughs> it's not Bjork, but <laughs> I can dream. Um, but like, okay, what I know of just the right in how inhospitable it, it seems and yet there are people there and they're making a living and just the geographic and geological difference and variance of the whole country um how how rough it seems and yet how kind of inviting and interesting and beautiful it is at the same time um just all of those kind of competing ideas uh, of maybe what we associate with Iceland. And I'm thinking, again, I'm thinking particularly in terms of just like geological features here, how it is such a, a sweeping and rough and beautiful country all at the same time. Um, and I think a lot of the arrangements on, on the Sugar Rose album um, help us feel that. And, and I think we can track yeah, when I say I think you could put images to this and it'd be a picture all of its own, like a lot of times I, you know, I hear these songs and I kind of imagine myself, you know, as part of a tracking camera over the country, over different landscapes. Um, there's a reason it's used in so many nature documentaries. Basically, I'm saying I think that's very fitting because a lot of times, like, that's how I imagine the journey of the songs. Um, and again, Jonesy's vocals... Um, are part of that emotional tenor, a part of that journey. And more than anything, I think it's an album that's great at prompting you what and how to feel at a given moment and always has you in the right place. You know, when it, and when it wants those moments of positive uplift, you hear that. When it wants to take you to a more ominous state, you hear that. It doesn't matter if you know the words, you don't actually need them to know, okay, here's where Jonesy is at this point, or here's where I should be emotionally to keep following the track of this song. Um, it's very good at that. It's very good at, at engaging listeners and keeping them in that way. Um, here's the part where I start trying to say song names. Sorry. Uh, Stora 4? We'll go with that. Track 3. Staring <laughs> um, Elf. What's that? According to Wikipedia, that means Staring Elf. Yeah, so this is the one that's about, um, it's like Jonesy basically getting into pajamas and then meeting an elf. The elf this is another. This is, <laughs> this is another part of the reason I don't actually want to know the lyrics. <laughs> I, you know, I am absolutely the type who is all kind. I like prog rock. I'm here for a good song about an elf encounter. Like, that's not my issue here at all. But the song is just stunningly gorgeous. And 
I don't know, maybe it is the feeling of, of arriving in Rivendell. Like, maybe that's what I should be going for here, and that's how to make the lyrical content work with it. But it's just absolutely gorgeous. And it's, it's you know, I was saying Bjork has lush strings, but Homogenic never. Uh, like, it doesn't have anything quite like this, quite so warm and... Uh, you know, I said lush already, but that again, um, just something so sweeping, um, to come back to that word, something that really, it, it's the string section, it just carries you, um, and it, it's, it's, it's beautiful, and yet, and a lot of the songs on this album do this, and it's one of my favorite features, they end with this kind of breaking apart, or just this weird kind of moment at the end, and this one sort of it's an acoustic guitar line that sounds kind of like it's breaking down. Um, and it's, it's actually reminiscent of like the end of Wonderwall. If you can think of the, the final acoustic <laughs> sounds on that, like it, it, it reminds me of that. And it sounds like that's kind of falling apart. And there's these um, just keyboard beeps that sound like they could either be a hospital machine breaking down as well or malfunctioning or like you're on a spaceship, like something like that. So it's just this incredibly beautiful song. Um, and then it ends with that kind of sense of breaking down. And it's kind of this this jarring and abrupt moment. Um, and you get that on a lot of the songs where there's just these incredible compositions and then the end complicates them in some way. Um, and I think that's important to the whole post-rock endeavor here that we have and to the, the this idea of genre explosion that... Um, <clears throat> You know, Sugar Rose can can compose music with the best of them and can make these absolutely stunning compositions. Um, but they always have their their head and their in the in a hand in okay, how do we break this down as well? Like, how do we recast this in some way? How do we complicate it? Um, how is it so that this is not just pretty music, but something that is really reconstituting what music can do? Um, this one's going to be fun. Uh, Flugu Flelserin. Sure. If you have the translations for all of these up, I'd love to hear them. <laughs> the Fly's Savior. Okay, so yeah, this one is about... Um, basically, Jonesy is down by a lake and catching flies. As far as I understand, that's it. <laughs> um, this, this, see, this is the fun part now. <laughs> um... I hear some Massive Attack in this one. If you don't know who Massive Attack is, a uh, major act in, in trip-hop. We're going to get to them later on the list. Um, but they also... Their song Mezzanine is the the opening to House, the TV show. So that's Massive Attack, if you, if you need that point of reference. I think there's some of that in here. And there's this jazzy backbeat to it all. Uh, as it swells, again, the strings are slowly building and here because tim broke my heart last week i'm just gonna filter tool into every episode but i i do hear some uh as a tool particularly right in two um or kind of the the latter half of Ten Thousand days um their 2006 album <clears throat> 2007 one of those um so, like, even in that, you hear, okay, so there's this prog metal band that we can kind of hear, there's this jazzy 
light rhythm section, massive attack, trip hop, electronic thing going on. Of course, the the, the classical um, sounds and at this point I should probably say that Jonesy tends to play his guitar with a violin bow um, so you have that unique sound happening all of that coming together this, this, and again unlike Bjork it's not about the jagged edges so much as how can all of these things come together how can we weave all of these disparate parts and make this into this, this moment of pure uplift and this is a great example I think of this is an album that can prompt you how to feel where, whenever it needs to however it needs you to um, the chorus, in so much as this actually has one, is obviously this moment of like happy rising, happy uplift, probably where he's saving the flies and having some, you know, commune with them, and you know, this this happy uh, unity with nature, probably. Um, and then the verses, so much as any of those exist on here, are, are more somber, more wandering. Jonesy sounds more distant in those. Um, so maybe that's the attempt to actually capture them or to think about captivity itself, which I think is actually the theme on that song as well, now that I think about what I've read. Um, but again, like weird concepts, uh, you know, no matter what the concept is, no matter what the lyrics are, this is a band that's brilliant at, at capturing you emotionally and taking you exactly where it needs to. Um, okay, you ready with translations? We got a new one. Uh, knee battery? New batteries. New batteries. All right, that was that one was too simple. <laughs> um, I don't know what this one's actually about. I guess new batteries. Maybe a toy has malfunctioned and it's the toy you know, savior. Yeah, like back in the nineties, young people listening when we had to actually worry about batteries. Dark days, dark days. Um, I, I I point out this song for a couple kind of side reasons just to contextualize the rest of the album. It's in Icelandic. Um, so obviously this is a function of the language. Um, but the way Jonesy enunciates some things, even kind of like, it kind of sounds like different languages at points. Um, like you hear some words that remind you of Spanish or Italian or French or English. Um, Right, that's a you know languages overlap like that's partially a function of that but I think just in the way that he enunciates some things like he he really plays into that and it creates more of a connection in that way I think that it doesn't matter what language you speak again the words themselves are not the only important thing here that they're part of this this larger texture um, but that you can connect to it in that way and that no matter where you're coming from you can hear something and like kind of latch onto that and like that gives you some image to to generate along with the music um and the other reason i want to point out this song is this the secret so often on this album i think is in the drums um and on this one they're absolutely cascading um they're, they're tucked in so much reverb and that makes them sound so like you can hear the atmosphere around them and like that just creates this really interesting texture to this song and to many others when the drums really come crashing in um and they come crashing through this one giving us a real sense of expanse and horns come in after that this is a song that builds and and, and cascades and climaxes um, and in a song similar to that, I need to pull that up. I forget the the first part of it offhand, but the in parentheses is bam, bam, bam. Do you see that one, Tim? The heart pounds. Boom, boom, boom. Okay, that was easy. <laughs> this one, 
so that makes sense because the beat in this one does kind of sound like a, a heartbeat. Like that's what's carrying through the whole thing. And this is another one where there's kind of a jazzy uh, rhythm to it, some jazz keys at the beginning. There's also a harmonica line that sounds like some deep south uh, or like some Appalachian John, and it makes me laugh every time. Um, like it's beautiful in the context, like it absolutely works, but it's just harmonica. Was not expecting that one. Do not expect that with my Icelandic bands. And this is one that this is probably the most like traditionally post rock um, on the album because it's really following a swirling guitars um, uh, and guitars that feel like they're kind of like a wind gust or a tornado circling around you and enveloping and like getting closer and closer. And eventually this one like really just breaks through at the end and you get this couple minutes of really static, heavy feedback. And to me, it sounds like, okay, the swirl of maybe we're journeying up the volcano um, and suddenly it explodes. And like, there's that deep crackling at the end, like the lava's coming out. Like you get that sensation at once of static of that, heavy white noise but also of like campfire crackle of, of lava of the sound of fire um and last song i want to point out olsen olsen is there a translation for that or is that no it's, it's... olsen okay yeah. <laughs> um this one you know so much of what's before this is really about you know the different realms that they can take sound to the different ways that they can mess with it and tear it apart uh, this is the poppiest affair on the whole thing. And to me, this is where monsters and men come from. Um, it, you know, if you're familiar with them, and um, I'm sure you've heard little talks in your travels back in 2011 or 12, whenever that was. Um, this is like the purest pop song and still has, you know, they still have their toe in the, the classical and the string arrangements. Um, the drums are still very powerful here. Jonesy is still carrying some lovely vocal melodies. Um, but you can hear kind of the beginnings of a band like of Monsters and Men, or even uh, like Florence and the Machine or Ed- Edward Sharp and the Magnetic Zeros, like poppier bands like that who are relying more on arrangements uh, and who are pulling in that sort of classical influence into their pop music. Um to varying degrees like Florence is the best one there and has a harpist so kudos to her too I hope she's listening to Florence and, and Bjork that'd be fun that's why we're hoping for things <laughs> a man can dream um so that's that's really what I want to say about uh Sugar Rose here again this is an album that you know, I've been kind of alluding to this, I think, you know, probably fairly heavily, but this is one that I think has to be experienced, has to be heard, has to be felt. Um, but it's an album, it's about an hour and 10 minutes, so it's, it's definitely on the longer side, but it's one that I like to listen to it on headphones just because that really closes in the space and you can just live with the, uh, with the album and with the sounds and let it take you. Um, and they're just so good at doing that. Like these are arrangements that are stunningly beautiful throughout and, and woven together so, so well, so proficiently, um, that you are on this cinematic, on this sonic, on this, you know, whether they're songs about elves and flies or not, this kind of spiritual journey, um, that is bringing together 
so many different types of music, so many different genres, and exploding what we can even expect in in a rock song. Um, anything you want to say about Sugar Dose or about this album? Any translations on there of songs I didn't mention that are fun? <laughs> um, we have we've got a a title that I am t- Vithrar Veltil Luftterrasse, which. As far as I can tell from Wikipedia, is good weather for an airstrike, which kind of speaks to, I don't know, it kind of speaks to me and, and all those World War II movies I keep watching a little bit. Otherwise, no, I, I like, in, in seriousness, I don't know that I have other things to say that that you haven't said or that other people haven't said much more eloquently than that. Also, I do want to note that we are hilariously going to make this just as long as all the other ones which I think was foreordained as soon as you said, this one will be short. Yeah, I just saw the time and had that thought. I'm sorry. (laughs) I'm doing this for our Icelandic fan. (laughs) We need to give them proper time. Um, Let's talk about Mum. I don't know if it's actually said Mum. There's a, a, I don't know what they call the accent in Iceland. I know in French it would be accent aigu. And over the U, so there's a chance that this is differently pronounced. Again, I'm sorry. I'm gonna go with Mum because it's spelled M-U-M. Um, and their um, 2002 album, "Finally We Are No One," which I think is a great album title. I just like that phrase. And if Sugaros is based in rock. And, and then post-rocking it from there and bringing in all of these other things and exploding our sense of what that can mean. Mum is based in electronic music, is coming from an electronica standpoint and becoming pop, becoming, uh, you know, bringing in more rock flourishes, bringing in other stuff from there. So we have this kind of different orientation of from where they're coming, from where they're starting and how they're building from there. So finally, We Are No One is definitely an album that feels more electronic in that way. Um, a lot of, of, of skittering breakbeats, a lot of um, just those, you know, think of bands like Postal Service or Fortet and kind of what they're doing with their various beeps through songs and, um, you know, how broken up beats are, how staccato they are. That's kind of where Mum is coming from in general. Um Simultaneously, the knock and like the appeal of this band is how saccharine and simplistic they can be. And if you read a bunch of reviews on them, either that gets played up as like, yeah, that's what makes them great, or like, I can't really handle that, or it's in the middle of like, this may like be, you may find this grating, but it's also what makes them really unique and um, compelling in their own way. So there's a lot of talk and review of this album around that aspect of it that it is very sweet it's very saccharine it feels very innocent in that way um i find that appealing i I like it i don't need i i like a lot of deeply complex music i like a lot you know i like the sugar rose model of you know how how grand how complicated can it be but i also like this model of these are uh, pretty complex and interesting electronic elements but embedded through that and over that fairly simplistic pop and rock structures. Um, and it's another, it's, it's not lush. It's not grand in the same way as sugar roast. It's not, um, as singular or not as abrasive as Bjork. 
um, but there is a simple beauty to this one. Um, it, it's a very pleasant album. Um, it's a very pleasant listen. It's just, it's nice. It's nice to listen to. I know that doesn't sound like much, but like that actually means something to me anyway. That you have an album you can just sit down with and like it calms you. It feels like to me kind of out in nature, um, just relaxing and, and just thinking, reflecting, and it's that simple pleasure. And that to me is what finally we are no one offers. So it's less that cinematic journey than it is this kind of slow, peaceful contemplation. And I think this is best embodied with Green Grass of Tunnel. The There's a, kind of an intro instrumental, and then Green Grass of Tunnel is the first full song. Um, and it's trip-hop-ish, so think kind of Massive Attack again, those uh, kind of somber, ethereal, um, electronic... Uh, kind of smoothed out music, um, smoothed out electronic music, and just such a sweet melody. Like this is just a very happy song to me, um, and it's one that I listen to and just kind of feel happy. And it's again, there's a sweetness to it that it may turn you off, but to me, I find that very appealing. So again, relatively simple, just purely beautiful songs. It's like they're they're writing. You know, art, kind of not art for art's sake, really, but kind of that motif of let's just make these small, beautiful things, and that's what we're going to create. Um, and there are skittering drums and electronics behind all of them. Um, it, you know, uplifting string sections again; those come back in. And what really sets Mom apart from Bjork and Sugar Rose, I think, is their use of accordion, which is spot on, but also lends to that like it's a it's a weird sounding instrument and it's definitely going to give you this vibe of like, is this meant to be humor? Is this meant to be childish? Like what is this accordion doing here? It's a very weird instrument to incorporate. Um, and it has such a distinct sound, especially when you put it against string sections, especially when you put it against, uh, you know, computer generated electronic music. Um, it's it's not an instrument that fits particularly well with either of those, but Mum makes it work here, and it does. You get songs on here. I have to look at the full name here. Uh, Don't be afraid. You have just got your eyes closed. Or behind two hills, a swimming pool. Um, or far away, swimming pool. Two instrumentals about swimming pools here. Um, that feel. I don't think you'd be wrong if you said they remind you of like an 8-bit video game soundtrack. There's some <laughs> of that sound in them. <laughs> I, like, I, I, I get that feeling myself. Like there's sort of that, you know, picture your Mario soundtrack or your Pokemon on Game Boy. And like that sort of bleeping and booping um, soundtrack that is actually really interesting, but it is limited in the technology that it had. Um, they're kind of working with that. Like it sounds like that or like some cartoon platformer game. Um, there, there's those, again, those keyboard sounds that are, you know, in the 8-bit games, it's from limitation of technology. I think here they're just doing it because it's something different and something new and kind of sweet in its own way. There's xylophone on this as well. Um, I think, you know, as innovative and, um, as adventurous as Sugar Rose and Bjork are. <laughs> There's really a kind of kitchen sink ethos here with what instruments are coming in, I think, between accordion, between xylophone, between 
<clears throat> those sort of 8-bit sounds. Um, and you get harder versions of that as well. So there's sort of that childlike version, and I want to carry that idea forward. I'll get back to it in a minute of the kind of childlike innocence. Um, and then you get a song like K slash half noise, um, which starts in that sort of more gentle, you know, kind of saccharine, but like childish moments. Um, we get, we're, you know, we're getting similar sounds there. And to me, it's like a child just kind of wandering through a field, through nature, just, you know, you know, I think back to when I was young, just kind of going through the woods, nowhere to be, nothing to do, just going uh, and kind of the simple pleasure of that. And then it, it, it crests, it climaxes, and it becomes the sort of a grand moment that you might hear in Sugar Rose of like, maybe you make it to the top of the hill, the top of the mountain, and you see like all this, this panoramic view of everything around you. And it has that feeling to it. And then it just kind of dissolves into this expansive, but kind of gentle drone. Um, it's not how, you know, the, the Sugar Rose song might end with that, like very hard, abrasive crackling. Um, but it, it's fairly gentle. It's fairly low in the mix. You, you, I mean, you hear it and you hear kind of pieces of it, but it's not confronting you in the same way. And that's not a moment I really know what to do with yet. I don't have a reading of that, but I think, it, again, it's just this another, another interesting moment of, you know, you can hear them messing with their own sound, with their own expectation in that song. You know, this appears about halfway through the album. Uh, actually, I think it is the direct halfway point. And so you get this front half that's loaded with, okay, this sounds like we what we've been hearing so far. And then it just kind of dissolves into this interesting drone music that doesn't really come back again. But I find this to be a, a very interesting centerpiece. Um, and I can't feel my hand anymore. It's all right. Sleep still is... You know, compared to Sugar Rose again, we hear kind of their drums, like, uh, their drum and string structures coming into that. It's a much heavier song in that way. Um, it's much more produced in that way uh, and much um, more confronting. Um, <clears throat> but it's undercut by accordion again. Um, and at the end, the accordion even going into like a horror theme, a horror tune. Um, it has that kind of vibe to it. So I think... You know, Mom, really, their strength here is just subversion, in a way, that they are really in it for these kind of simply beautiful things, and that's important to them. And I think that's important in general, um, but also the ways in which, you know, they're building that expectation, they're building that style of song, and then the, just the fun ways that they're able to undercut that at various points, whether that's a drone outro, whether that's well-placed accordion, whether that's an 8-bit uh, resonance, whether that's, you know, a xylophone coming in at the end of a song, uh, at the end of a song. Um, I think, you know, instead of that grand building that, say, a Bjork or Sugar Rose are doing, it's in, okay, they're going to do that, but also the ways in which they can um, kind of undercut that with fairly simple technique, fairly simple production. Um, but again, just looking for that, that, low-key pleasure and beauty um, and then you know just just messing with that subverting it at different points and um, the last thing i want to say about this album to me two of the the prettier songs on here um, we have a map of the piano and the land between solar systems they have fun names some fun song names i think um, 
I do want to read a little bit from these. So about half of the album has actual lyrics, um, and the other half is pretty much is not pretty much. It is instrumental. Um, and you know, Tim mentioned Bjork can sound cloying. The vocals here might sound cloying to you. They are very saccharine. Like like that's a lot of what goes into calling the album that. Um, and lyrically, there's not a ton happening, but I think it's really interesting what it is. So I just want to read a little bit from these two songs uh, and then bring this back to, okay, why Iceland? Uh, so we have a map of the piano. Uh, Please don't flow so fast, you little mountain hum. I'll take a bottle down to you. Please don't flow this fast. You hold a little hum. I'll bottle sounds, just me for you. Please don't flow so fast, you little mountain din. I'll bottle piano sounds from you. Please don't flow so fast, you little mountain noise. I'll close my eyes and bite your tongue. And then I'll read from uh, The Land Between Solar Systems real quick. Also, that was the entirety of that other song, and this is the entirety of this song lyrically. (laughs) There's that fear again coming through the grass. Deeper it goes, singing a song. There's that noise again coming through the grass. Louder it goes, singing to sleep. There's that place again there behind the hills. And I want to point these two out because of how explicitly they tie music and nature and how writing song, finding music, finding art is as much being in nature and and hearing the sounds um, and bottling from there, like taking sounds, taking melodies, taking music from... um, you know, from the mountain, from the river flowing, from uh, this place over the grass, from the grass itself. And so bringing that all together, I think, yeah, this is an album that is very sweet, can be um, maybe overly so, and is very childlike in kind of its innocence and its beauty. But I think that's the point, that it's drawing from nature, from landscape, just as much as Bjork or Sugar Rose are. Um, and pulling from the variants of Icelandic landscape, I think, <clears throat> and saying pretty directly that from here, this is where this music comes, that it's not us saying necessarily, let's just like throw all these different genres together, but that we are feeling with this place, and that's where this music comes from, that's where this art comes from, that's where this beauty comes from. So... Yeah, this ended up as long as any episode, but whatever. Um, Tim, anything you want to say about these? You want my spiel? How are you feeling here? <laughs> uh, let, let's go spiel. I think I've got. I think I've got it. But go ahead and spiel us. Spiel it is. So our spin entry today was Bjork's Homogenic, nineteen ninety seven, her nineteen ninety seven album, and our category was uh, one Bjorky Mick Bjork face. I've gotten better at that. <laughs> I did it. Um, uh, colon Icelandic genre explosion, and for that we looked at Sugar Rose's 1999 album Egetist Birjan, and talked about basically there uh, an important act, one of the most important acts of post rock, um, as not only its popularity but just what it's doing in general, and. <clears throat> them as a band and this as an album that really focuses on uh, sweeping feelings on on cinema on being able to create those um, engaging and moving environments in sound and in music and in all the different elements that they're able to bring together and smooth out entirely into these just gorgeous compositions um, and how to that feels so often like them engaging with the landscape of Iceland 
how that feels like you're kind of traveling through that geography with them and how that geography and that geology informs what kind of music that they're making. And the same is true for Mum, the other album that we looked at, their 2002 album, Finally We Are No One, which is much simpler in, uh, in scope and in reach um, in terms of its grandeur. And <clears throat> unlike Sugar Roast, which is kind of coming from a foot in rock and, and blowing it up from there, Mum is a band coming from a foot in electronica and not exactly blowing it up, but adding other things into it. But another album, I think, that is deeply influenced by the country, by its home, by where these people come from, and songs explicitly about, you know, being in nature, being one with nature, and finding the music, let, letting nature present music to you, um, the mountains, the streams, the grass, the hills, and how that leads to these uh, once simplistic and very sweet and just very beautiful melodious songs, um, that they also undercut with some very interesting and unexpected flourishes, um, like those moments where it sounds like an 8-bit video game or the, the constant use of accordion, or regular use, I should say, um, or, or where they start bringing in xylophones or um, sort of aggressive keyboard beeps, um, that they're taking the sound that they've established on the first half of this album, that they're taking what they know of electronica, uh, and bringing all of these other things into it, letting the the land speak to them in that way, and showing how that is this expansive and at once paradoxical but beautiful composition on, on its own. So that's my spiel. Tim, what do you think? Uh, I think I'm gonna I'm gonna head with Sugar Roche here, and and I feel like that's very basic of me. Um, but just sort of listening to to the discussion of both. I was, I don't know, I was just sort of struck by how often we thought about Mom as kind of a, like, sweet or, or too, like, I don't know, cute or endearing or something. And you haven't made them sound twee or anything like that. Like, I don't, I don't know that I necessarily get full twee out of them. Um, but I don't know, I just, I, I think if I'm looking for, like, this representation of Iceland, something that does kind of speak to the land, I don't know that it's the the one that reflects what Bjork is doing on Homogena quite as much. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like I see that less. Um, well, I think when, when I listen to Sugar Rose, I, I do think about a completely different thing than what she's doing. I think that it's easier to create the through line between the two. Um, so again, as, as boring as this choice is, I think, I think that's where I am for, for this particular decision. Yeah, that makes sense to me. I think that's right. The uh, mom is kind of fundamentally up to something more childlike and more um, just in awe and kind of in wonder in that way. And again, I think it's I like the Sugar Rose album more, um, but this mom one is it's just a really pleasant listen. And I think we need that um, at all times, especially now. So it's just a nice one to sit down with and just kind of vibe to and like. Uh, it kind of helps me just reflect on childhood and like hit that nostalgic mode. And there's some twee to it. Like I think someone could definitely make that argument that it, it's um, a bit of that persuasion. Um, mostly I just kept emphasizing the like sweetness of it because that's so often what becomes the focal point um, when people listen to it and when they review it that like you either find that appealing or you don't. Um, I do. 
and I think it, it's there's something to be said for we just want to make these beautiful pop tunes and to me that's really engaging on its own but yeah it is looking at something a bit different in terms of um, you know thinking of Iceland and Iceland's music than than Sugar Roses which is closer to kind of what Bjork is doing which is those moments of grandeur and um, roughness that either we live with or smooth out into this sort of uh, grand composition in either in either respect. Anything else you want to say about uh, any of these? Any more love you want to give to Bjork, who we know is listening? Uh, number or, or or any anything about Yaya Ding Dong you want to say? Okay, so I guess three things now. Number one. Um, I'm, I'm genuinely interested in listening to mom cause I, I do not know them outside of this episode slash the spreadsheet that we keep. So like, I don't know, like that was, that was interesting that enough, like as a description that I do kind of want to figure out what their swimming pool deal is and everything like that. I am a sucker for accordions. So I, that's, that's probably up my alley. Um, two dancer in the dark is incredible. It's a wonderful movie. It's deeply odd and i don't think it's american enough for me to put it on the list so you won't see it but that's too bad uh and and i guess finally i don't know it's been a long year and i i really do i really do wonder if having yaya ding dong stuck in my head for three months of it at a stretch was one of the things keeping me tied to sanity and i don't know Thank you to the people of Eurovision Song Contest, colon, the story of Fire Saga. Uh, you will not get a spot on <laughs> this particular, this particular podcast, uh, but, but I, I, I am grateful to your very generous and no doubt highly realistic depiction of Icelandic culture. So go forth and listen to all three of these albums and Ya Ya Ding Dong. And honestly, I think you'll, your day will be much better when you do. Um, a quick comp for Mum, since you said you're interested. This episode is not is not. It's definitely related to the uh, shoegaze episode, um, and that I think you can find similarities between a lot of these albums. Mum is sort of the slow dive of the equation, um, a sort of more gentle take on everything happening. Um, so today, the spin H entry number 18 on their list is Bjork's 1997 album Homogenic. So we talked about that in terms of Bjorki McBjorkface, colon, Icelandic genre explosion. So we looked at two other Icelandic bands who are messing with, subverting, uh, ignoring genre in their own ways in Sugar Rose and their 1999 album Agatist Birjan. And Mum's 2002 album, finally, We Are No One. Tim has chosen Sugar Rose for this episode. A perhaps mildly expected, but I think entirely justified and, and good choice. So stay tuned for part two, where we find out why is this episode called Bjorki McBjorkface. You will come to understand when we get into part two. And Tim will be talking about Titanic there. Um, another 1997 uh, text <laughs> or, or piece of art. So see how Titanic and Bjork are, are shaping 1997.
Uh, for more on us, other things that we do, other writings, or to check out my Spotify or Tim's Letterbox, um, and to catch up on back episodes of this, which we have quite a few at this point, um, definitely developing the podcast. Um, so yeah, to check out more about us, about the process behind this, other stuff that we do, our music and movies, please go to our website, subtitlespodcast.com, and stay tuned for part two.